Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 409, recorded on Sunday, the 2nd of April, 2023. Feeling sanguine, I'm Joe. All shiny here, I'm Moss. First up in the news, Chrome does fractions with Wayland. New framework laptops. Docker changes their mind. ARM needs more money. Midnight BSD released. GNU Cache is updated. Cinnamon Remix goes official, and Pinestar 64 is announced. In security and privacy, Melofi happens, and Melofe. Linux Tech Tips gets hacked. Then in our wanderings, I was sick. And Moss replaces a hard drive. In our innard section, we beg for new hosts and talk about our experiences with Mintcast. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. It's probably going to be a short show today, but it, 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 it'll be good content. And you just want to trade back and forth on the news? I'll start us off. Sure thing. Okay. Just remember, guys, what we make up for in quantity, we get, we lose in quality. <laughs> okay, first up in the news, Chrome arrives with fractional scaling in Wayland. This is from Foronix. On top of today, seeing the KDE X Wayland video bridge announcement, the debut of GNOME 44 with its many Wayland improvements and Wayland X Wayland 23.1 being released. With multiple new features and improvements, there is more good news for Wayland fans. Google has merged to the Chrome Chromium Ozone code support for Wayland Fractional Scaling via the Fractional Scale V1 protocol. The Fractional Scale V1 protocol was added to the Wayland protocols late last year and provides for nice fractional scaling support. The protocol allows communicating a scale with more precision compared to the existing integer-based scaling. It took a long time for this to land, but since then, the Wayland Compositor and other software embracing Wayland have been relatively quick in embracing it. This fractional scaling support has been picked up by KDE Plasma, KWIN, and GNOME, along with smaller compositors like Sway and other WL root-based compositors. And I'll believe it when... Uh, the guys at Mint try to work with Wayland. Right. And then wait till it comes to EFL. Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting for Wayland for more than a decade now, so I, I, I'll keep not holding my breath. Well, it's getting used more and more, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Framework produces a 16-inch laptop with both AMD and Intel chips available from the Framework blog. Some highlights from the article. We gave a developer preview of the Framework Laptop 16. The biggest announcement is also the biggest product, the new high-performance 16-inch Framework Laptop 16. With the new expansion-based system, they're delivering on the holy grail for gamers, creators, and others who need power with modular upgradable graphics. They're also enabling fully reconfigurable input using the input module systems. Pre-orders open spring 2023, shipping is late 2023. Framework Laptop 16 developer documentation is available on GitHub. Each of the new module systems is open source, unlocking the creativity of the community. They released mechanical drawings, 3D CAD, and electrical reference designs for input modules and expansion bay modules, along with QMK-based firmware for the Raspberry Pi RP2040-powered input modules. Framework will be expanding into Belgium, Italy, Spain, and Taiwan with pre-orders this summer. And you can sign up for their newsletter to be notified when they're available in those and other countries. You can reuse your mainboard with the Cooler Master mainboard case. So when when your framework gets old and you buy a new one, you can pull the uh, mainboard well, out and put it in this box and have a server. Yep. Or if you uh, buy a new mainboard, you can put it into the old screen and, and casing and then take the old mainboard and put it into this and then use it as a right. set-top. 
They've partnered with Cooler Master to create an awesome new way to reuse your framework laptop mainboards, a transparent small form factor case. This will be available this spring for $39. And there was a good video on it from LTT, and we've got a link in the show notes. Yeah, just a reminder, you know, Linus is, um, well, invested into framework. So you got to take everything he says about it with a grain of salt. But he does yeah, go he put over a good chunk of money into it. Yeah, yeah. He 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 does go over, you know, the the pros from this. And yes, it is, you know, still in development, so it isn't actually released yet. But their 13-inch models do look really cool. I'm just I like the modularity and I like the reusability, but the price is a little out of my range. Yeah, I don't like the price, but if you figure that you can keep the same laptop for the rest of your life if you want to and just upgrade it. Yeah, um, um, upgrade it piecemeal for forever. But, you know, we said the same thing about uh, desktops, and that doesn't really work out that way. Well, we'll see. They, they've they got some new modules that are really looking good, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, Docker decides not to sunset the free team plan after all. And this is from the Docker blog. After listening to feedback and consulting our community, it's clear that we made the wrong decision in sunsetting our free team plan. Last week, we felt our communications were terrible, but our policy was sound. It's now clear that both the communications and the policy were wrong. So we're reversing course and no longer sunsetting the free team plan. If you're currently on the free team plan, you no longer have to migrate to another plan by April 14th. Customers who upgraded from a free team subscription to a paid subscription between the sunsetting announcement on March 14th and today's announcement will automatically receive a full refund for the transaction in the next 30 days, allowing them to use their new paid subscription for free for the duration of the term they purchased. Customers who requested a migration to a personal or pro plan will be kept on their current free team plan, or they can choose to open a new personal or pro account via our website. In the past 10 days, we received and accepted more applications for our Docker-sponsored open-source program than we did in the previous year. We encourage eligible open-source projects to continue to apply and are currently processing applications within a couple of business days. For more details, you can visit our FAQ. We apologize for the communications and the policy and vow to be an ever more trustworthy community member in the future. Yep. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, those, you those complain enough, guys. you might have an impact. Look, 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 look. They'll, they'll, they've been trying to find a way to make money for a really long time. Then every time they find a way to make money, either the community pushes back or, or someone else came out with it right in front of them and completely knocked out the, uh, the funding source from under them. Yeah, well, we'd like to have them find funding, but not at the expense of open source community. Mm. Okay. ARM wants to dramatically change their licensing structure. From Ars Technica, what's in store for the future of chipmaker ARM? The company's owner, SoftBank, has been in financial trouble lately, and that has caused ARM to bounce from one dramatic possibility to another. Initially, ARM was put up for sale, and NVIDIA was the frontrunner to buy the company. The plan was shut down by regulators, and now Plan B is an IPO, which is supposed to happen on the New York Stock Exchange sometimes this year. If you want to succeed on the stock market, you've got to show revenue. And while ARM enables the sale of billions of dollars of devices around the world, the company's chip licensing scheme only brings in a comparatively small amount of money, around $500 million a quarter. I wish I had a small amount of money coming in like that. Mm. The Financial Times has a report on ARM's radical shakeup of its business model. The new plan is to raise prices across the board and charge quote, several times more, end quote, than it currently does for chip licenses. According to the report, ARM wants to stop charging chip vendors to make ARM chips and instead wants to charge device makers, especially smartphone manufacturers, a fee based on the overall price of the final product. Let's say Motorola makes a phone with a Qualcomm Snapdragon ARM chip. Previously, Qualcomm would have signed a deal with ARM for an ARM license, and that license would extend to anyone that buys a Qualcomm ARM chip, like Motorola. Qualcomm contributes a lot to its own chip designs, but when it comes to the ARM license, it is basically an ARM reseller. ARM would now want a licensing fee from Motorola and not Qualcomm, and it would ask Qualcomm to not sell chips to anyone that doesn't have a licensing agreement with ARM. Our example isn't picking on obvious companies like Apple or Samsung because they have much more complicated deals with ARM. 
Those two are both chip vendors and device creators, and Apple doesn't even use ARM's designs, just an architecture license. Apple and Samsung will have their own licensing agreements in place, but it's hard to imagine ARM's new gotta-impress Wall Street strategy won't eventually affect them somehow. Right now, ARM is talking this over with partners, and the plan is to roll out the pricing changes in 2024, but we presume in-place contracts will keep some companies on the old model for a few more years. The report says, quote, MediaTek, Unisoc, and Qualcomm, and multiple Chinese smartphone makers, including Xiaomi and Oppo, are among the companies that have been made aware of the proposed change to pricing policy, end quote, later adding that ARM has been, quote, frustrated by customers' reluctance to accept the new arrangement, end quote. The report quotes a former senior employee as saying, quote, ARM is going to the customers and saying, we would like to get paid more money for broadly the same thing. What SoftBank is doing at the moment is testing the market value of the monopoly that ARM has, end quote. If customers decide they don't like ARM's new pricing structure, the competition is getting closer than it ever has before. While ARM is basically a mobile monopoly and everything smaller than a laptop, RISC-V is an upstart project that promises power-efficient chips under a royalty-free open-source license. While ARM has an incredible amount of ecosystem support with device designs, a large user base, and a million developer tools, ARM's continual drama is making a switch to RISC-V look more worth the effort with each passing day. With ARM being for sale and revamping its business model, the company has become an unstable partner for other businesses trying to plan their product lines years into the future. The U.S. government's influence over ARM is also a concern for China, as is ARM's potential use as a weapon in the U.S.-China trade war, which has led Chinese companies to rally around RISC-V as an alternative. ARM also decided to sue one of its biggest partners recently over a license dispute, another move that signals ARM is increasingly being difficult to work with. The company has also been unable to produce chip designs that are on the same level as Apple, so any Android manufacturers buying an ARM chip are relegating themselves to second place right off the bat. There isn't much reason to stay with ARM other than all the significant entrenchment factors. If ARM didn't have all this drama going on, RISC-V's need for ecosystem investment would probably keep partners away, but the continual bad ARM news could be the push companies need to switch. Google has heard the calls for RISC-V support and recently announced plans to elevate the upstart architecture to a Tier 1 platform in the Android code base. If you're RISC-V, you really couldn't ask for a better situation than the past few years of ARM drama. Yeah, something had to come in and and shake ARM up, and, well, the only thing that could really do it was ARM, so... It's a shame that they're only making $500 a year. Right. No, that's a quarter. Five hundred million quarter. a quarter. Ah, so that's two billion a year. Yeah, I I'd take a quarter of that, and they could just <laughs> give it to me. <clears throat> they wouldn't even notice. I would though. All right. Midnight BSD three point is released. This is from Pharonix. Midnight BSD as a desktop focused OS forked from FreeBSD and relying on the XFCE desktop environment by default, is out with its big Midnight BSD 3.0 update. Midnight BSD 3.0 has been in development for months as another step forward for the desktop BSD world. Midnight BSD 3.0 pulls in some enhancements from upstream FreeBSD 12, a variety of fixes. A CPI platform error interface, APEI support, the get random system call, and get entropy library have been added. With compatibility to Linux and OpenBSD implementations, pthread library. <clears throat> Updates various bootloader improvements and a variety of hardware support additions. On the hardware side, there is now AMD temperature monitoring support for various AMD Zen 2 and Zen 3 processors, MicroTIC 10G 25G network device support, bug fixes to the NVMe device driver, RTL 8188EE. Chipset support, AMD NTB driver support, and various ACPI updates. Downloads and more details on Midnight BSD 3.0 via midnightbsd.org. It's always nice to see a new, you know, desktop version of BSD out there. It's not, it's something well, I mi- have run in the past, but, you know, it's not something I ever stuck with. Midnight BSD is in a fight with uh, that other BSD derivative, uh, what do we call uh, Hello. Okay. Uh, Hello, Linux. Uh, and they they each think that they are better at uh, providing a Mac OS experience and are 
going back and forth and back and forth on that. So that's a lot of fun to watch. Hmm. A little healthy competition. And GNU Cache 5.0 released from 9to5 Linux. The GNU Cache 5.0 free open source and cross-platform accounting software has been released today as a major update that brings several exciting new features for those of you who want to manage your finances on your GNU Linux distributions. Highlights of the GNU Cache 5.0 release include a new stock transaction assistant that can be accessed from the Actions menu. This feature will guide you through entering most investment transactions for bonds, mutual funds, and stocks. This release also introduces an investment lots report that displays a graph of capital gains and losses in a period by investment lot. This feature works only when you use the View Lots dialog to manage capital gains and losses and can be accessed from the report's Assets and Liabilities menu. Moreover, GNU Cache 5.0 brings a More Properties tab to the new slash edit account dialog, which makes it easier for you to set low and high limits on an account, as well as a new balance limit column on the accounts page, which will display an indicator when the account balance falls above, falls above or below the set limit. Also new is a single import from AQ banking menu item to replace the import menu items for the DTAUS, MT940, and MT942 formats, which supports importing a file format supported by the AQ Banking Free Online Banking Library, a new drop-down list in the Registered Description field, Quick Fill, to list possible completions, and a new finance quote interface that has been rewritten in C++. Furthermore, GNU Cache 5.0 adds support for the new Gmenu slash Gmenu model system for its GTK menu structure, new commands for the GNU Cache CLI command line version of GNU Cache, and changes Unicode normalization for string matches from NFKC to NFC, which will affect fonts and positional variants. You can download GNU Cache right now from the project's GitHub page, where you can read more about the new features and improvements implemented in this major update. You can also install GNU Cache 5.0 as a Flatpak app from Flathub. Always nice to be able to track market trends and market volatility if you're into day trading. If you have any money. Or you're into day trading. This next one's good because we've had Jonathan Pesach on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just talking about this the other day. It's been mentioned on basically all the shows that I'm on. Uh, Cinnamon Remix becomes official as Ubuntu Cinnamon. From 9 to 5 Linux, the Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix distribution has officially become an official Ubuntu flavor and will join the rest of the flavors starting with the upcoming Ubuntu 2304 Lunar Lobster release. Created and maintained by members of the Linux, Linux community, Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix is an Ubuntu derivative that features the modern Cinnamon desktop environment developed by the Linux Mint team. Cinnamon Remix aims to offer a traditional approach to the modern Linux desktop. The Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix maintainers have applied for official Ubuntu flavor status several times in the past, but only now Canonical has decided to welcome it to the family of Ubuntu flavors, starting with the upcoming Ubuntu 2304 Lunar Lobster release, due out on April 20th, 2023. Until now, the maintainers of Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix did a very good job keeping up with all upstream Ubuntu releases, even offering a custom version of the official wallpaper of each new Ubuntu release to match the Cinnamon desktop environment's style. Ubuntu Cinnamon will not be the only new official Ubuntu flavor this spring when Ubuntu 2304 will be released as the maintainers of Ubuntu Unity have also managed to obtain official Ubuntu flavor status last year in September. As with Ubuntu Unity, the next step now for the Ubuntu Cinnamon maintainers is to bake daily ISO images in preparation for the upcoming Lunar Lobster release, and maybe even take part in the Ubuntu 2304 beta release later this week on March 30th. The user experience will continue to be the same, if not better. There will be more quality assurance as the tracker is being set up, images are built daily, and a lot of infrastructure is provided by Canonical. For new developments in Ubuntu software, such as the new Flutter-based installer, Ubuntu Cinnamon will follow the Ubuntu desktop's footsteps too, said Joshua Pesach, Ubuntu Cinnamon lead. While we're waiting for the Lunar Lobster to hit the streets, you can download the latest Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix release and learn more about the distribution from its official website. It can be pointed out that uh, both Ubuntu Unity and... Ubuntu Cinnamon are run by teenagers. Yeah, well, 
Um, yes, there's every, good news for the future of Linux. Every other show that I've been on, you know, the, the question gets asked, what's the difference between cinnamon, Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix and Linux Mint? And it's like, well... Um, Ubuntu and snap. Snaps. Really? <laughs> <sighs> but yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the Mint team does a whole lot to make. There's a, there's uh, a lot more than Ubuntu Snap, but Snap is the obvious use. one right now. Yeah, all the Mint tools. Yeah. Anyhow, Pine 64 releases Star 64 Risk 5 single board computer with GPU from cnxsoftware.com. Uh, we told you this was happening up in the ARM article. <laughs> Pine 64 Star 64 is a single board computer powered by Star 5 JX7110 quad core 64 bit RISC V processor equipped with an Imagination BXE 4 32 GPU and in a form factor similar to the earlier Pine 64 Model A boards, such as the Quartz 64 Model A. The Star 64 SBC, name the Star 64 SBC ships with either 4 gigs or 8 gigs of RAM, an HDMI 2.0 video output connector, 2 gigabit Ethernet port. I can't read today. 2 gigabit Ethernet ports, a Wi-Fi 6 and Bluetooth 5.2 module, USB 3.0 ports, a PCIe slot, and a GPIO header for expansion. Based on the information from the wiki, software support for the Star 64 is still considered to be at the alpha stage, with a Linux 5.15 kernel maintained by IceNowy, and I can't find any images for download, but Debian or Ubuntu should be available soon, as they tested the JH7110-powered Vision 5.2 SBC with Debian 12 last February. Note there's still a lot of work to do for better support for the Star 5 JH7110 SoC, and some packages will be missing and need to be built from source. They found the, MVN they found the NVMe storage and Ethernet worked fine, but was unable to test video output and any graphics, since none of their displays would play nice with the board, even after applying some known workarounds. Pine64 does this a lot. They release stuff to get people working on it, not they do the work on it and then release it. The Star 64 and Vision 5.2 SBCs offer many of the same features, but the Pine 64 board provides access to the PCIe interface via a PCIe X4, PCIe 2.0 X1 slot instead of an M.2 socket, and is equipped with a wireless module for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, Bluetooth that the Vision 5.2 board completely does without. Both should be considered software development platforms and are not suitable for integration into products and projects for most applications. The Vision 5.2 has been shipping to backers since last December, who got one for as low as $46 during a crowdfunding campaign, but now the 4GB RAM version costs around $90 without Wi-Fi on Amazon or AliExpress, and the 8GB model goes for $116 while Wi-Fi 6 adds an extra $13 to $14. The Star 64 SBC should offer a cheaper alternative, as it will be available for $69.99 and $89.99, plus shipping with respectively 4 gigs and 8 gigs LPDDR4 memory starting on April 4th. We have all the specs in the show notes. Anything you want to point out, Joe? No, not really. I mean, it's fairly standard stuff. I mean, the only difference between this and some of their other boards is that it's risk. But, um... Honestly, unless you're a developer or you want to really, really tinker with something new, then I suggest waiting. Bill might be excited about this. He does have a Rock 64 in his uh, uh, ensemble. All right, moving on to security and privacy. Do you want to take the first one and I'll take the second one? Well, I just took the last one. It's your turn. Oh, okay. I can take this one. You just don't want to say Melofay. Is that what it is? Yes, or or did I want is. to cover the other story? Well, yeah, the other story is LTT. Yeah. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do this one. Um, okay. Melofay researchers uncover new Linux malware linked to Chinese apt groups. This is from the Hacker News. An unknown Chinese state-sponsored hacking group has been linked to a novel piece of malware aimed at Linux servers. French cybersecurity firm Extra Exa Track, which found three samples of the previously documented malicious software that date back to early 2022, 
dubbed it Melofe. One of the artifacts is designed to drop a kernel mode rootkit that's based on an open source project referred to as Reptile. According to the Vermagic metadata, it is compiled for a kernel version 510 112 x86-64, the company said in a report. The rootkit has a limited set of features, mainly installing a hook designed for hiding itself. Both the implant and the rootkit are said to be deployed using shell commands that download an installer and a custom binary package from a remote server. The installer takes the binary package as an argument and then extracts the rootkit as well as a server implant module that's currently under active development. Melophase features are no different from other backdoors of its kind, enabling it to contact a remote server and receive instructions that allow it to carry out file operations, create sockets, launch a shell, and execute arbitrary commands. The malware's ties to China come from infrastructure overlaps with groups such as Apt41, aka WinT, and Earth Berberoka, aka Gambling Puppet. Earth Berberoka is the name given to a state-sponsored actor chiefly targeting gambling websites in China since at least 2020 using multi-platform malware like HelloBot and PuppyRat. According to Trend Micro, some samples of the Python-based puppy rat have been concealed using the Reptile Rootkit. Also discovered by Exatrack is another implant codenamed Alien Reverse, which shares code similarities with Melofay and makes use of publicly available tools like Earthworm and Sox Proxy. The Melophae implant family is another tool in the arsenal of Chinese state-sponsored attackers, which show constant innovation and development, the company said. The capabilities offered by Melophae are relatively simple, but may enable adversaries to conduct their attacks under the radar. These implants were not widely seen, showing that the attackers are likely limiting its usage to high-value targets. There it is. Yeah, seems interesting. I don't really know enough about it to say anything. Me either. Okay. How Linux Tech Tips YouTube page got hacked from The Verge, YouTube channel Linux, Linux Tech Tips, and two other Linux Media Group YouTube channels have been restored after a major hack allowed a bad actor to do things like live stream crypto scam videos change channel names, and even delete videos. In a new video, owner Linus Sebastian explains that the breach bypassed things like password and two-factor protections because the bad actor targeted the session tokens that keep you logged into websites. According to, according to Sebastian, someone on the Linus Media Group's team downloaded, quote, what appeared to be a sponsorship offer from a potential partner, end quote, and launched the included PDF with the terms of that offer. But Sebastian says this offer actually included malware that accessed, quote, all user data from both their installed browsers, end quote, including session tokens, which effectively gave the bad actor, quote, an exact copy, end quote, of the browsers that they could export and use to wreak havoc without needing to enter security credentials. Linus Tech Tips, Tech Linked, and Tech Quickie are all back, but Sebastian has some suggestions for YouTube to prevent future breaches of a similar nature. For example, he'd like to see greater security options for certain channel attributes. According to Sebastian, you can change the name of a channel without having to enter a password or use two-factor authentication. And some kind of confirmation or verification request if somebody tries to mass delete videos. Quote, after being alerted by the Linus Tech Tips team that their account was compromised due to unauthorized access, our team investigated the issue and worked with them to secure and restore their account, end quote. YouTube spokesperson Elena Hernandez said in a statement to The Verge, we've asked if the company will be making any changes to help fight breaches in the future. These sorts of YouTube channel takeovers have become increasingly common as of late, and changes like Sebastian's recommendations would hopefully prevent them from happening in the future. They do recommend watching Sebastian's full video explanation, which includes more details about what went down. But be warned, the video includes some security footage of a naked, though blurred, Sebastian in his house as he works to figure out what's going on. Yes, the video was very hilarious. And <clears throat> interesting, too. I mean, one of his people 
had a zipped PDF that they unzipped and ran, and that collected all the information from both browsers, and a person was basically able to exactly duplicate said browsers. And that uh, the, the cookies from that gave them direct access to all of the, well, YouTube stuff that this person was logged into. So I, I remember seeing on my phone that I was suddenly getting like random, you know, videos about cryptocurrency and, and had to shut that off for a mm -hmm. while. But I didn't realize at the time that it was uh, Linus Tech Tips uh, channels that had been renamed. So, yeah, did not know yeah. what was going on there for a little while. And then... Um, well, the good thing was that rather than blaming the employee, Linus blamed himself for inadequate training. Right, right. And that person still has their job. I do remember him talking about that and then just fix fixing, you know, the training. And then um, also talking about how never... Uh, open a, a, a zip from an email ever yeah. but um yeah so and also don't participate in crypto scams so. yeah and don't participate in crypto scams <laughs> and, and and yeah the there, there definitely should be some changes made to youtube and one thing specifically that he said kind of jumped out you know if, if your cookies that allow you to access a session suddenly jump from canada to china there might be a problem and it might be a good idea to to lock down the account you know make the password get entered again whatever but that just seems you know logical to me yeah but yeah and it was weird because um, I, how I found out about the hack was um, I had sent one of um, Linus's videos on how to build a PC to a friend who was helping his son build a PC. And he's like, this doesn't work anymore. The video doesn't exist. And it's like, oh my gosh, LTT is gone mm -hmm. and it got hacked and everybody's talking about it. <laughs> so yeah, I had to find another video for him to, to watch to... Yeah, I learned about it from Chris Titus Tech's video on the subject. Mm -hmm. And he was relatively nice about it, too. He wasn't saying, oh, Linus Tech Tips, ah. Yeah, he, he really understood that hacks happen. Yeah, everybody, well, nobody is 100% secure. Things happen, people are always the weakest link, and, uh, you know, you keep the person on board because you can't pay for that kind of experience. Yeah, they've learned. They know better now. You don't know that about the okay. next guy. All right, let's move on to the biweekly wanderings. So, um, last week, I basically the whole week I was too sick to move. Um, most of my house was very, very sick. Fever, chills, hot flashes, the works. No, it wasn't COVID, but I spent most of my time sleeping so that I could barely function for a couple of hours a day. Um, it was miserable, and I hope that it never happens again. My wife was also miserable. My kids were miserable. It was a really bad time to be in my house. And, yeah, I have never been so cold in my entire life, and I was born in Alaska. So, um, not a whole lot got done. Also, with, you know, the taxes coming due, money was a little tight around here, and I was not able to afford any new projects. Um, I was able to make it to a friend's wedding, but that was really the only thing that I did that was even remotely interesting. It was a fantasy-themed wedding with a lot of Tolkien references. Okay, but um, I did rebuild the base station for the 1GX. It, it needed to be completely redone, and I needed to order some parts for it and map it out a little bit better than I had before. Um, I, I put it together in separate pieces in order to prevent a lot of printing of support materials uh, that would then need to be removed and, and cause issues. Um, now, I, I did finish it. The problem is that it's hard to find reliable low-cost parts that will work over a long period of time and are easy to replace. Um, the USB hub on the left-hand side that I had seemed uh, pretty stable since no power really goes through it, and I was able to reduce the tolerances such that the hub will fit into the holder without needing to be glued. That means that it stays in place but can be replaced if it does go bad. Um, I also moved it farther back so that there, there's more stability in the device overall. It doesn't lean back when the um, uh, screen is on the top or when I'm trying to type. 
Um, I'm also making sh sure that the adapters that I'm making for it are all the same height so the, the device will not lean to one side. Um, this does make some of them a little bit thick, but it, it all balances out once they're, they're glued in underneath. I have replaced, I had replaced the right hand side with a different style adapter. This adapter is one that I had ordered before and I've used it for the other one for a couple of years without issue. And it also provided um, a couple of USB ports on the inside where I could uh, keep a couple of long term devices like USB sticks, Wi-Fi adapters, whatever. Now sadly, once again, um, before I had it glued in place, it worked just fine once to charge the device with at 15 volts um, and however many amps. So it comes out to like 60 watts. Uh, and then once I uh, had it glued into place and completely assembled, it stopped working and would not provide power to the system at all. So that had to get removed. Now, um, <clears throat> we'll get to my solution for that in just a second. Uh, the center hub that I created, the mounting adapter for glued into place and created a better channel for the USB cable. But I think that I, I had thought that I wanted to replace the uh, right angle cable with a U-shaped adapter in order to save a little bit of space. Um, in the end, I didn't go with that. Um, now, I do have a lot of room to work with, but part of the challenge is to make sure that there's enough airflow to prevent overheating, no closing off of the vents, which means that I have not yet found a good spot to put the M.2 enclosure. Um, I may build an entirely separate base that I can pop on and pop off. One built more for storage, one built more for USB ports and things like that. Um, but since the powered side was giving me so pr many problems, I decided to um, hook up to the other two ports and just use the one for power. The, the one port where everything I hook up to it um, uh, breaks because I'm trying to run the full 60 watts through it. Either I need to get a 100 watt adapter that would be able to handle it a lot better or I need to go without. So for now, because of the, you know, I bought three so far, the costs are starting to add up. I'm just going to hold off and not put anything on that side. That seems to work pretty well. And now the front assembly did get moved to the right hand side and a different adapter is placed in the middle towards the back which is actually providing a connection to um, both the left and right hand sides and it's providing me a couple of USBs on the inside that I can hook those USB sticks up to. Um, so there are a lot of different devices that are unpowered and hooked up through one USB-C port. I kind of want to see how long that, you know, um, that setup works for, if it's going to be an issue with not enough power getting through or anything like that. But it does look like it's, you know, done up pretty well. And um, it's just the one connection right there, and then everything else is run through the bottom. And I think it's uh, actually it looks really good, but I like I said I have my concerns about the uh, the the power. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, now the other week I also ordered a filament driver, and that did arrive. And I, I have dried out some PETG, but I have not used it yet. Um, and I, and I will let you guys know how it works. Um, it came with a uh, dispenser, but I'm not sure that the bearings are good enough. I mean, it doesn't roll very well, so I may have to just pull it out of there entirely and uh, set it into my other roller. Um, so not much got printed in the last couple of weeks other than those adapters for the uh, base station for the 1GX. Um, um, I did also print out a spool reel so that uh, I, I could move my PETG to a smaller uh, spool using my drill. And it's just a matter of, you know, just putting it through one reel and running that drill so that it pulls the filament onto it. And, and you have to make sure you don't go too fast because when you stop, you don't want it flopping all over the place. Um, now, Recently, I've been asked to put together a pr presentation for recent graduates at the local high school on the things that I think that they should know in regards to uh, digital hygiene and security. Um, probably means that I'll, I'll put it together and uh, provide it to the school and then also post it on YouTube. And I'll probably also bring it to the show here and um, I'll, I'll present it a little differently to you guys. But um, I, I know the things that I want to cover I just need to put it all together. Um, I could probably also use some help on the things um, with uh, things other people would consider important to present to um, 
about to graduate seniors. Um, now, if it goes well, I'm thinking I could possibly put together a series of similar posts on YouTube and maybe finally get some more content on my own channel. What do you think, Moss? Well, sounds okay to me. I know I need more content on my channel. <clears throat> mm. Sorry about that. Um, of course, my channel is all music. But <laughs> Mine is all um, uh, headphone repair videos. That's cool. You do what you can do. Uh, as a technical person, I'm a good house painter. Well, anyhow... Uh, my bi-weeklies, uh, the Lenovo ThinkCenter M700 Tiny i3 computer I'm using to watch TV on seemed to be having the hard drive die. Yes, I said hard drive. It's apparently a 6 gigabyte Toshiba made in February 2015. I ordered a Samsung Evo 870 SSD to replace it. Instead of waiting for the old drive to die, I went ahead and put Mint 21.1 Mate on an old cheap SSD. I then tried to clone that drive, but uh, no, that's not it. I tried to clone the old Toshiba to the SSD, and it wouldn't work. I think the drive was too small. Uh, the original drive, it couldn't see that as being a real drive or something. When the new SSD came in, I cloned that from the new drive successfully, quote-unquote, but then when I booted it, I got an init RAMFS prompt. So I just went ahead and reinstalled Mint 21.1 Mate. As of last night, it works as well as it did, just with a new Samsung drive. Some of the problems I was having on it, I'm thinking, we've got a 6 gig hard drive. We've got eight, uh, 12 gigs of RAM on it. If it was trying to put in a swap file, I think that would be a bit much for it. It probably choked a few times. I looked at the drive on my other Lenovo ThinkCenter M700 Tiny, which has an i7 and 16 gigs of RAM, and found it was an SSD of the appropriate size, but I got a wild hair to look it up, and lo and behold, the reviews on that drive stated that yes, it was fast, but had about a five-year life, and my Tiny is eight years old. I was going to order another Samsung Evo drive for that, but Dale Miracle pointed out that there are some odd bits about Samsung drives and the Linux kernel, so I have a Kingston A400 in the basket for mid-month. I feel a bit odd about this. It's like putting a brand new hybrid engine in a 12-year-old car and hoping the rest of the mechanicals stay alive. I'm sure most of our listeners remember when I had dozens of distros on my few machines. I must have mellowed. I have Mint 21.1 Mate on both my T580 and my ThinkCenter Tiny i7 Studio machine, along with Bodhi 7, Alpha 4 on the 580, and Alpha 5 on the desktop. I have Mint 21.1 on both my TV machines and my wife's machine, although she's running Cinnamon and all the others are Mate. And the T540P is being used to test whatever I'm working on for distro hoppers, a single distro at a time. So a total of five machines with a total of seven distros, four of which are Mint and two of which are Bodhi. That, that, said, that's got to be a record for you on the low end. <laughs> I remember at one time I had a machine that I had 12 distros right. on the one machine, and I was going to expand it to 20 before I decided, no, that's overkill, and I dropped it back down to eight. Mm. But in this case, I have seven over five machines. So. <laughs> yeah, but were you using all of, all of the, the 12? Yeah. And you were yeah, I was booting into them just for the kick of booting them. Uh, that's crazy. Everything has a different desktop. Everything runs differently. Uh, PC Linux OS is a whole different thing from even Open Mandriva, which it's related to. Well, yeah. Well, as long as you were using them all, then, you know, it was worthwhile. Yeah, but apparently I'm not that young child anymore. I turned 70 and got over it finally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you know, uh, your analogy of um, putting a new hybrid engine in a 12-year-old car and hoping that the rest of the mechanicals stay alive... Yeah, I don't know if that, you know, is, is exactly the same, but it's pretty close. Yeah. And, and we have a new co-host for Distro Hopper's Digest, and we'll break him in for episode 42. I'm doing a review of Elementary 7, not my best distro, but I'll try to be fair. And the other guys are still distro hunting. I have also done my duty and made our new host aware of the need for co-hosts on this show. That's about it for me. All right. I guess we're off to the Linux innards then. Well, for Linux innards, we need more hosts. 
We probably should have expanded on this. We need a new audio editor. That'd be nice. Uh, right now, Joe and Bill are doing the audio editing, and you've seen that it's not quite the same quality as when we had uh, Rio doing it. Well, or Tony. That's true. Um, but mostly it's just been Bill because every time I've started, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it. And he does it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's nice that we're getting the shows out. That is necessary. But we would like to have better editing skill on this. But the main topic of today's show is we need more hosts. So we thought we'd go over and give you some <laughs> ideas of how we got into it and what fun we're having in it and things <laughs> like that. So maybe you want to be a part of this. Uh, I joined Mintcast for fun with a purpose. I had been bugging Chris Fisher at Jupiter to start a show with me on desktop Linux. He pointed out that they had tried to do that, him and Noah. My response was that neither of them had any clue what new people moving to Linux wanted in a desktop and that I was nearer to the use case. He did not respond. He kept putting me off. Then I heard that Mintcast was searching for new hosts, that this venerable show had burned out its current two-man team, and I applied. About nine of us did, including Joe. And by the time we'd worked out the details, there were eight of us. Rob predicted it would be down to three in just a few shows, but for nearly a year we had six hosts, causing us to split the show into two weekly installments. That went on for a while. I had a personal crisis which required me to take a sabbatical, but that only lasted about six or seven months. In the interest of complete transparency, I had never listened to Mintcast prior to joining the show. So I wanted to point out a couple things here. Mintcast does require time. We have meetings lasting anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours every Saturday, and every other Sunday we record a show which takes two to three hours, less if there's only two of us like today. That's a lot of weekend time, and it's weekend time. A lot of people have families and whatnot. Um, plus all the time it takes to fill in your part of the show notes and keep them current in the time between shows. But it is a lot of fun, and this is my 85th show. Joe has done over 110. I think it's 112 or 13 now. Just numbers. Just numbers, yeah. You'll never catch Rob. Right. And as I said earlier, we do have a new co-host at Distro Hoppers Digest, and I'm trying to talk him into joining us. But the first things first, we need to break him in and get him settled into Distro Hoppers. <clears throat> so what about you, Joe? Well, my first podcast that I joined was actually like the Linux Link Tech Show. Um, I had moved to the Dallas area, and I'd been staying with an old Army buddy who wasn't very tech inclined. Um, and... I, I, I needed people to talk about tech with since I was far away from all my El Paso friends. Um, it was a lot of fun and I just kept coming back. Right? At the time I was using a headset and a USB audio dongle, which, you know, the audio dongle really is a big improvement over your, your stock 3.5 millimeter jack that you find on most like, you know, laptops or desktops. Um, I think at the time I was using a netbook, um, the Acer Aspire 1, which is a great little device. and, and I, I loved all the those little netbooks, and yeah, they were 32-bit, so they didn't have much of a life after that, but I probably used them longer than I should have, and I know that um, I, I was also still using various tablets and, and trying to get Linux installed. I think at the time, um, I was still working with uh, the, the Transformers, so um, now... In that, uh, it's always hard getting those cars to sit upright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also joined the uh, the Linux Lugcast um, on the same server after a little while. Um, I had joined up because uh, 5150 had put up some information on SSD drives that I found useful in response to some information that I had asked about on the Linux Link Tech Show. So I, I jumped over there and uh, just kind of, you know, stuck around. And then I heard that Mintcast was looking for more hosts, and I decided to give it a try. I sent them an email. They sent me one back. Um, and, and basically, everyone that expressed an interest, they had jump on the show. And I, I feel like all of us that joined in um, really were able to bring something new to the show and, and really helped it grow. Um, now, I remember Isaac and Rob, uh, they, they were talking like they didn't think that gaming existed on Linux at the time um, and like all of us brought you know all of the stuff that was going on in Linux gaming at the time and that was like right at the start of um, I think it was even before Proton speak for yourself huh 
gaming gaming i don't do right but all the rest of us you know <laughs> uh bo yeah. me everybody else we were talking about gaming on linux and we were discussing um it wasn't proton because it was before proton and it wasn't wine specifically it was uh play on linux because play on linux was really um wait play on linux and there was another one but i can't remember off the top of my head because it's been like what six years or something but uh yeah and just how far gaming had come in, in in linux and we were able to actually get a couple of shows out of that topic and that was really fun and now one thing that um i've realized after a few years of podcasting is that there will always be a drop off in like listeners anytime you make a change and uh, there will be people upset anytime you make a change um but you can usually eventually get more new listeners or they will come back but, um, you know, that, that's not saying anything bad about it. I understand why they get mad. You know, people um, listen to podcasts to, to play through a certain mindset in their heads. And, and w when that changes, it kind of can throw off your whole thing. So, yeah, I do, I do understand that entirely. But, um, you know, in a lot of cases, we can't stay the same and, and we have to change. And... Oh, we love having new hosts and, 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 and we love having new ideas on the show. Uh, we love our interview shows and we love our project shows, or at least, you know, I love the project shows. And I also lo love the shows that delve into the command line. And yeah, uh, you know, I know a lot of people dislike that because, you know, command line in an audio format, it's not supposed to work out. But I love it. And I, I just, I don't do it very often. But when I do do it, I'm very passionate about it. And, um, you got to remember, we're we're not getting paid for this, so this is a passion project for all of us, and we do it for the fun and and to give back to the community that that we're a part of, and we love doing this, and that's why we do it. I would also point out that I have learned more about Linux in the few years we've been doing this than you know probably two, three, four times what I right. knew when I came on the show. Uh, I love new stuff being brought onto the show and someone showing me something that I haven't seen before and trying out something new and seeing if I like it or not. And, um, like, uh, but it also can be a bit of a money sink as well. Um, Mintcast is one of the reasons that I bought, you know, my, my first decent microphones. Um, I think I still have the snowball. It's probably over there somewhere as a backup microphone. Um, Moss also had one. So it'll tell you the same thing that with the snowball, it basically picks up everything in the room. No. Um, I, I had the Yeti. Yeah. But it's still uh, the same company, yeah. the, the blue, right? Same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's blue Yeti. Um, the blue snowball and blue Yeti. It's the same company that makes it, but it, no matter what settings you use on it, it will pick up everything. And so it does well in a very controlled environment, but that, that's, you know, that's not my house. My house is not a controlled environment. Uh, everyone told me my audio quality was fine, and I kept hearing it being so different from everyone else's. I finally got a cheap mic, uh, CAD audio, mm -hmm. which uh really nice. It, it, it worked for a long time. I just recently replaced it. Let me also say that while it is a money pit, if you have the money, um... The fans of the show are good to you. Yeah. And I have had a lot of people send me a lot of equipment or just buy something and have it shipped to me. Yeah. Well, it, I, I also will buy a lot of broken stuff and, and fix it. And that's how I will get some things and, and get that some things up and running. Or I will look for the low cost alternatives to find something that works well, like like the camera here, which is an Amazon Basics. Um, we'll get into the HyperX Quadcast here in a second. But it also, you know, I... I it's also an excuse to do a lot of uh, 3D printing, like uh, the adapter here on the back of the microphone, the stand that um, my camera is currently attached to a spring clip on, all the stuff like that. So it, it allows me to also be um, in innovative. Uh, now, the next microphone I had after the Snowball was actually the Samsung Meteor, um, which was a really good buy because, you know, I bought it off the local market. I got it cheap. Um, I think the 3.5 millimeter jack on it didn't work, but I didn't need the 3.5 millimeter jack on it. Um, I did have to do a bit of tweaking to it to get it running, but you know, yeah. And thrift stores are awesome, Clayton. Um, 
um, some of the ones around here ha have gone downhill in regards to electronics because everybody decided to uh, sell things online. Um, and I loved that Samsung Meteor until, you know, I loved how it worked and, and then it died. And it wasn't as directional as the uh, uh, Snowball, but it was, it worked really well. And yeah, it just, after a while, I don't know what happened to it. It just sounded horrible and I had to put it away. And um, I got the HyperX Quadcast. Uh, but anyway, you know, which is this this one right here, and it's not perfect. It does pick up a lot. You can control that to some extent with the settings, and that works out well enough, so long as my fan is not on anyway. And this is Texas, so I'm <laughs> not going to be able to podcast here all summer when it's like 102 degrees. I'm going to have to go inside, and then we're going to get more noise, and, and that'll cause cause more issues. I will eventually get the Q2U that everyone else is, has been screaming about and, and get that set up. But I just got a brand new one and Bill is using it. Yeah, one. but I don't know if I can, you know, uh, I don't necessarily also want to pick up the um, the, the XLR um, to USB ad ad adapter and stuff. So I might just run it off a of USB because, yeah, I do switch rooms and I don't need to be taking that entire setup every time. You lost me again. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm liking the HyperX podcast, but it, I'm thinking that it is dying. I think the USB port's going bad, so I may try to fix that once, or I may just get the Q2U next month, depending on my financial situation. Inflation is terrible. But yeah, um, and then, you know, we were talking about this being a time sink, and yeah, it can be, especially when there, there's less of us, um, and yes, we do spend a lot of time in the park. A lot of time gets put into the research. I mean, uh, at least I put in a lot of time when I'm researching topics that I'm passionate about. I remember when we were doing the doing one on the history, the one on the history of Linux, just a couple of shows back. Couple of shows back. I had so much I had fun, so just much delving into the delving into the history of, of different distros and how they got started and how they went where they went and where they're at now and and just being had that all set up for them. You know where they're going in the future. And, yeah, it seems like it's a simple topic, but I really enjoyed researching, writing, and putting it together, and trying to make sure that also that we do something interesting that we can bring in every two weeks for the bi-weekly wanderings. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to, to cost me money to, you know, go buy something and work on it, but... Um, you know, I, I do want to, it's the reason that I will be like, okay, um, I've been talking about 3D designing this now for a couple of months and I haven't done it yet and I need something to do. Yeah, kids walking in. Oh my God. Clayton knows. He's watched it happen. My kids walk in and just start randomly talking to me or my wife walks in and just randomly starts talking to me. But um, <clears throat> where was I? Uh, okay. But, you know, uh, sitting down and 3D designing something and learning about 3D design. And um, now um, we also have to put time in towards maintaining the servers and the storage locations and the changes to our workflow that we've implemented over the years. I mean, it's a lot of a different landscape now than it was when Moss and I first started doing this show. Um, and we also spend a lot, a lot of time editing the audio and try and produce the best show of the highest quality that we can for you guys. Um, and we even change our environments around us, um, so, and get better gear and things like that and upgrade everything, um, over time. So now, whew, uh, the, the editing we have to find that balance between uh, spending a lot of time doing it and getting the show out. Uh, we, we try to get the show out in a reasonable amount of time. And then we also try to make sure that it's a quality show and uh, we could, you know, double, triple, quadruple our time um, just trying to improve the audio. And it would be an incrementally better show, but it might not be worth it to, you know, us for the overall end product um that might sound bad but you know we got lives too uh my kids do like occasionally spending time with me and 
things like that. And and my dogs need a little bit of my time too. If you can hear 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 Dice just barking out in the backyard. She's getting older and just having a rough time of things. Um <clears throat> But we do have a lot of fun on the show, and oh, that's yeah. the main thing. Yeah, well, uh, I thanks love for covering. I kind of lost my sound again. I think it's the new sound box having some glitches. Yeah, you lost your video there for a few minutes too. I don't know what happened. Well, when the sound goes out, the video seems to go with it. I don't know why. Okay, now that this is one of the reasons that we try to find people that are willing to help out. I mean, even if you don't want to be on camera or on audio. If you want to help out with the back end stuff um, and the podcasting stuff, um, we'd love it. We'll give you a shout out. It makes our lives easier. It, you you get to help with something that, you know, we hope you love. Um, and, and honestly, I need more time to, 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 to pick up and put down heavy things. I love picking up and putting down heavy things. <laughs> And they're right there. And I thought about like, you know, lifting weights on the show, but that works better when you got more hosts. Um, and when you got like four or five guys all talking at once, uh, then, you know, you got some time before you got to do things. I can sit here and I can get some curls in, maybe, maybe some uh, tricep extensions <laughs> and, and, and have yes, my head. Show is on. good at multitasking. Some of us are not. <laughs> a little bit of practice. Uh, I mean, lifting weights don't take a whole whole lot of brain power unless you're doing some very specific things. <clears throat> and and uh, we love having new hosts. We love having too many hosts. Uh, it, it does take more work, but it also brings more ideas, more topics, more viewpoints, and, and more interesting ways to think about things. You know, um, that's one of the, also one of the reasons we like doing interviews because we don't want to end up in an echo chamber. We want to hear other people's thoughts. You know, maybe I'm wrong. It happens. Not very often, but it happens. Tell me <laughs> how I'm wrong. I want to hear that. It might be uncomfortable at the time, but I will appreciate it. And, and if you actually logically explain it to me instead of dictating to me, I will love it even more. But um, well, yeah, I think we've moved into rambling now, Joe. No, I am rambling a little bit. <laughs> I am rambling a little bit, but it's still, I feel like it's important information. My first car was a rambler. Oh, my <laughs> first car was a 1968 Plymouth Fury 3. It, it was mm. a really nice car. The joys of your, your father, you know, being a mechanic and, and having a junkyard to play with. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, 1978 Gran Torino Elite, not long after the 1968 Plymouth Fury 3. Well, I started on a 63 Rambler American 440 wagon. Mm. And there are certain beauties to that, but uh, I, I, I went out drag racing. Uh, one night, and I beat the guy off the, off the line. Well, he beat me off the line. I'd catch up midway down the block, and then the light at the end of the block would turn red, and it didn't have good enough brakes to stop at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the cars that I like to to drag race with was a, a 1978 Chevy Blazer with a um, 383 Stroker and 411 gears. Hmm. And that thing would do a four-wheel smoke show, but yeah, and you could drop it into low and you could pull just about anything with it. And I do remember getting that thing up to almost 100 miles per hour and blowing out the fuel pump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ev evidently it's hard on a fuel pump with, with that big of an engine. And, and who to thunk? It was probably running Windows, anyhow. Probably, probably. <laughs> probably DOS. <laughs> all right well we have a lot of fun on the show it is work uh if you need a microphone and you need a webcam talk to us i don't know who has an extra webcam i know i have at least one extra microphone i could toss somebody if they really needed it like, like i said i got my backup mic and i'm planning on getting a q2u and if i can get the uh the port fixed on this then i i will have an extra microphone that i don't mind sharing and like i said um a lot of times you can get good enough audio uh, with a 3.5 millimeter headset and a um, a cheap like USB audio adapter. We will get you on the show if you want to be on the show. <laughs> Hey, 
housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email, mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram and Discord. Or post directly at mintcast.org. Next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, April 16th, 2023. And there is a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Next roundtable live stream, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, April 8th, 2023. And you can get that converted to your time zone in the show notes. And live stream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. Now, on to the wrap-up. And if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple of the other shows that I'm on. And I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which is at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is linuxlugcast.com. Um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mincast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss? Well, you can hear me every week on the Full Circle Weekly News, uh, about once a month on DistroHopper's Digest. You can email me bardmoss at pm.me. My other information can be found at itsmoss.com. And Bill's not here, so why don't you tell us about Bill? Well, you can send him an email at bill at mintcast.org. He's at bill underscore h on Discord, at wchauser3 at fostodon.org on Mastodon, at wchauser3 on Twitter, and wchauser3 on Facebook as well. And you can check out his other podcasts, Linux OTC and Three Fat Truckers, which both have links in the show notes. Now, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Bill Hauser for our audio editing, Archive.arg for hosting our audio files, Hobstar for our logo, and HitRD for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time syncs, Bill Hauser for hosting the Pi 400, which runs our website, website maintenance, and the Nextcloud server on which we host our show notes and raw audio. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks Clem. Clem and Co. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.